Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to True Restoration. Here is your host. I'm your host, Matthew Arthur, and on this episode, I am joined by Father Michael Oswald. Father, thank you once again for joining me. Thank you for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. Today, we are continuing with the textbook Tradition and the Church by Monsignor George Aegis. Last episode, we went through halfway through chapter nine, and we will continue from there. So, Father, the, we'll start with the headline on page 183. The common belief of the faithful is a safe rule of divine tradition. Yes, this is a, this part or this um, <clears throat> half of the chapter then is a, is a good exposition by Monsignor of what it means for the faithful to believe. In other words, uh, you have the faith given to us, uh, but that what it means then for the faithful, how does the faithful then submit to that and how does that they believe in? So mm-hmm. Monsignor Brates, he says, you know, we will not speak here of the faith which comes from above and is preached by God's ministers, but of the faith existing in the common people, that faith which is one in all the length and breadth of the earth, which is such a conviction that while the rest of the Christian world is in doubt, the Catholics are firm in their belief. Whatever the Catholic Church teaches, they accept. The Church is the mouth mouthpiece of God who cannot deceive or, nor be deceived. Mm-hmm. So it is it is talking about the faith of the people, of the submission to the dogmas and dogmas and doctrines of the church given to them by Holy Mother Church, by Almighty God. And so basically it's in this part when he talks about faith, it's talking about in the mind of the people, in the mind and the hearts of the people. And so, you know, the, the church herself is not um, necessarily although albeit uh, has to, but not necessarily concerned with the problems, say, of other faiths. In other words, other, you know, uh, you know, disturbances within other faith, like if the Lutherans or something are having, you know, a discussion between their uh, the pro- more progressive and more conservative parts, you know, and what to do about it. What, mm-hmm. The Catholic Church doesn't care about that because they're both wrong, you know. But yet she's confronted, though, at times because that does affect sometimes the uh, Catholics. In other words, you have Lutherans trying to convert Catholics to to their error. But she knows well that she is the only one that can and ultimately then and will save society. And so so when her her doctrines, her her beliefs, uh, the Catholic Church beliefs, is attacked from the outside, you know, from, say, heretics uh, from the outside, you know, uh, but also from when a new doctrine is advanced within her own fold, which, of course, we are trying, you know, is purported, we're seeing today in the false religion of Vatican II, to what has always been believed or practiced, then, of course, the whole church then is in commotion. Is that the people themselves, the people in the pews are often stirred up, um, they are resolved then and determined then to keep whatever was handed down to them by the ancients and to reject the innovation that has come at whatever cost. Mm-hmm. And you often, again, see this in the history of the church, um, where you have some terrible, and I think last show we had talked a little bit about Arius, when he began to preach and deny the divinity of Christ, um, and how most of the bishops and priests followed that, and a lot of people did, but there were a lot of lay people who said, wait a minute, no. They knew their catechism. They said, that's heresy. Mm-hmm. And so there was a turmoil, and, they, and, and there was a, a rejection then of that innovation at whatever cost, and often that cost was of 
being exiled or, ostr or ostracized or even to be martyred. And so, but that's the point, as Monsignor points out. He says, when the Catholic people believe that a doctrine or an institution is true and practice it, then we proclaim that this belief is a sign or a mark that this doctrine or institution is a part of divine revelation, whether contained in the scriptures or not. And so, you know, this is, it is uh, uh, this, of course, that we uh, profess when you say our act of faith, hope, and charities. You know, we say, you know, this this is given by God. This is no matter, this does not change. This uh, The church is a divine institution. These are the things that we fight for because we know that they're true. Um, and so, Monsignor says it must be uh, this faith of within the people, of course, it must be as universal as the church herself and also believed without ambiguity. In other words, without doubt. And, you know, if there's one thing that we're facing today, well, of course, many things, but one thing you can point out of what is being faced today, which is a sure sign that it's not of divine origin, is that of ambiguity, that of grayness, that of, of mm -hmm. doubting things. Because that is not faith. To doubt is not a, is faith. Uh, so you have, like in Vatican II, again, I, I know I've probably said this before in, in other episodes, um, you know, being in Vatican II and then trying, part of it was trying to read, say, like the encyclicals of John Paul II or even of <laughs> Ratzinger Benedict, you know. and yes. And if it, that is so ambiguous, so loaded with, uh, you know, typical modern speak, that is a sure sign that's not of God because it cannot be that way in regards to that of faith, that of morals. And so you have a gray area then that is that is created. Mm -hmm. um, and so that this is this is what is forced upon the people, and some have, of course have seen the truth and they have just like Catholics of the past, had say, wait a minute, that's not right. That can't be of God. But as Monsignor points out, says, all this does not mean that the Catholic people have the right to reject or retain by their own authority, and again, I stress, by their own authority, any doctrine or any part of revelation, nor that the gift of infallibility lies within the Catholic people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing you have a perversion that Vatican II has done, and I can just point this out quickly, is that uh, you have one of the things, uh, you know, that uh, when they say Christ is present, uh, you know, I like it when they say in their new mass, Christ is present in the people themselves. Christ is present, you know, in the scriptures. Christ is present in this or that place, you know, not just in, of course, in the Eucharist. So there's a predominant um, effort to make people the, the person infallible and whatever they, you know, they, in other words, put them in the place of God. And that, you know, that's why Vatican II is really the religion of man. Man is at the center, not God. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Monsignor points this out, and I'm sure, uh, you, you know, this is quite uh, um, uh, certainly providential that this book uh, Monsignor had written, uh, you know, came before Vatican II. Uh, for people to look back to, like we're doing now, and point out to say, wait a minute, you know, in a simple way, this is, you know, the faith. This is what, and it's a a a total condemnation of anything from Vatican II. Um, and so Monsignor again writes, he says it means that the view, understanding, and belief of the Universal Church on any doctrine 
is a proof or criterion that such doctrine is a part of divine tradition. And so, <clears throat> you know, our Lord, we understand that our Lord had made the apostles uh, and their successors, you know, the bishops and the priests as well, infallible teachers, uh, you know, that our Lord, however, rendered them infallible, not only for their own sake, but especially for the benefit of all the faithful. And, and the purpose of this divine institution is the conservation and integrity of the faith, not only in those who are commanded to teach, but more so in those who are enjoined to hear. And so, you know, it's not as if, uh, of course, Monsignor is not here proposing that, you know, like me as a priest, I'm infallible in everything that I say. Of course not. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, the infallibility, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I am just in a sense, the messenger of what the church has already proclaimed. And so, um, so, you know, as Monsignor goes on into that, uh, page 185, uh, he says, teachers and disciples are the members of one body joined by one faith, the head of which is Christ himself. And the actions of these members are in perfect harmony with one another under the supreme direction of their head, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. There can be no divergence no disagreement, no contradiction in the actions and sentiments of this mystical body. The members are joined by faith with the head so long as they remain in unity and consent with their pastors. These in turn are in harmony with the head of the church upon earth, Peter, and his successors in office. Hence the members are immune from error in matters of faith and morals. <clears throat> and so it is with that is that it's basically a condemnation of the innovators that we have that the church has always had to face against those who are teaching new things, new doctrines, new things that have never been taught and are not in union with what the church has taught before, or not in union with uh, what has been taught by uh, the, the true popes and the bishops in union with him. Uh, because all we understand that there is no, nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new added. It is just a, um, a, a conserving of what has been handed down by Christ himself uh, to the apostles, to his church, to this very day. Um, and so, you know, it is, it is with that that you can, you can rest upon. Again, it's not as if, uh, you know, the, the innovations that you often sometimes have even try to explain the difficulties maybe that we may be facing today that some people will grasp at straws and try to mm -hmm. explain things like i think one of the new ones is uh for the vatican too anyway is uh you know to say that yes uh, we can be in union with christ as the head of the church but not in union with uh his vicar you know not in union with the pope in regards to some things and you know that's an oxymoron that's mm, that yes you yes. know and, and so they're grasping at straws for that because then you know where's the inf infallibility then you're you're basically denying the infallibility of the church so you know it's it's it this is what mancina talks about in the second half of this uh this uh, uh chapter and to to remind of us of the faith that is needed the faith of the people in their hearts and minds the submission to those infallible teachings of the church and so you know, he, he kind of, he also writes, he says, whatever the Catholic uh, people believe is like the re responding echo of the sentence of that infallible teaching body, which Christ established upon a rock for the benefit of the faithful. And Tertullian says, uh, Monsignor writes, Christ promised the spirit of truth to the churches that they may not differently understand, differently believe than what he preached to the apostles. 
And so it is uh, uh, that that the we can rest as the faithful can rest that whatever the faithful have learned, i.e., in their in the creeds, i.e., in their in their catechisms, uh, that have learned from those who are sent, cannot be error. Um, so you know it's uh, sometimes you 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 wonder uh, you know somebody will look and say, I've heard this before of 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 something like uh, you know. Um, the the Council of Trent, you know, they well they they really taught error in that regards, or you know this um, um, this pope or this saint, uh, the past, you know, uh, has been proposed as universal for belief for the the church, you know, oh that really that really was in in contrast, you know, that's their error, their heretics, you know, that kind of thing. I've heard those kind of right. way out, um, you know, explanations, but the faithful again scattered all over the world. They would be poor, as Monsignor writes, they would be poor disciples indeed if having been taught by infallible teachers, i.e. the popes uh, and the bishops in union with him and from the time and, and, and all that, um, that they they would hold not what is true but what is contrary to the truth. And so, in other words, that would mean that, as Monsignor writes, which is pretty good because, again, it, it it's uh, providential that you, you know, have... Uh, many today that say that the gates of hell have prevailed against the church. Uh, but of course, the promise of our Lord is there and will always be there. And so the common belief of the faithful, it must be a, a safe rule of divine tradition. Father, you answered this probably in what you said previously, but for extra clarity, no ambiguity here. Mm-hmm. Some may argue that the common belief of the faithful is that Bergoglio is the Pope and that the Novus Ordo is the true church. Mm-hmm. And because of that, that would apply to what was said in the previous headline, that the common belief of the faithful is a safe rule of divine tradition. So how is that argument invalid? You have to look and see where does uh, the infallibility lie. And Montaigne points out too, he says, the infallibility does not lie with the people. And I was, because, of, because the people believe it, it's then how infallible. It's no, because the people have submitted to what has always been taught to the things that are infallible. So, you know, when we say today uh, that, well, we can always point to history again. You look at uh, Arianism, um, you know, people thought uh, that Arius, when he taught, you know, that, to, that our Lord was not divine, uh, they began to believe that he wasn't then. So they followed in mass to them. I mean, there was, you know, I mean, it was... Uh, to the point where the, you know almost all of the world, uh, Saint Jerome says, was Arian. Um, so people followed that. Did that make it right? Was that right? No. I mean, so then what is the because the people that was the common, uh, the common people, uh, you know, and the vast majority began to believe that way. But that was not true, of course. So where does then does it lie? But be, people today, when they say. Um, you know, well, because so many people think that Bergoglio is the Pope, then he must be. Well, you can't say it that way because it'd be the same as saying, well, someone approaches the communion rail and and thinks in their mind, well, I I think that that is Jesus Christ, uh, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So then it must be. But then the next person sitting, maybe kneeling next to them, well, play, I'm just using an example. Hopefully, mm-hmm. this never happens. Yes. But use, that says, 
you know, well, this is a this is just a piece of it's just a uh, piece of bread. It's just a symbol. And so, because I believe that, then and that's it's just a symbol. No, it's Jesus Christ Himself. Why? Because the Church has declared it so, mm-hmm. and that is the Church is the submission then on the people. So you're using not yourself as the arbiter of what is right or wrong, or, or I should say. Uh, whether whether that is true or not, but you're losing what the church has taught, and you're submitting to that. So people today, so many, yes, the vast majority of of who call themselves Catholics say, yeah, he's the Pope, but they have not. But they're doing that often out of ignorance. But they, but how do you then sub, to to apply what how to to judge in a certain sense? Not not that you can judge a Pope, but you can judge who is Catholic, mm-hmm. and say, wait a minute, okay, you have to believe this to be a Catholic. And well, where do we get that from? Well, we get that from what the church has given us. We get that from the creeds. We get that from um, in regards to like the four marks of the church. And so what we're doing is we're saying, is this up? Is this person, whether it be priest or bishop or pope or, or just normal Catholic, are they uh, believing what the church has always given us to believe? And right, right, right then and there, you can see, well, no. It's the same when we look at, say, a Protestant. How do we know that this Protestant is not Catholic? Well, who says so? Mm-hmm. The Church says so. Um, and so it's with that that uh, you have. And, and of course, you can always use, and I've used this many times before, you know, you can't go by the vast majority like mob rules in a sense, uh, because I'm sure I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if over there in Australia or not, but I know our mothers over here often will say things like, you know, well, if all your friends would go jump off that bridge, would you do it too? Ah, yes. No, I have heard that here as well. Yes. Right. So it's in that same same kind of similar vein is that, you know, just because so many people are doing it doesn't make mm. it right. Mm. Um, you have to have a, a, an objective um, rock to be able to judge, you know, what is right, what is good. And, that, and we don't use that to a private or personal interpretation of that. Uh, it's what the church says. Mm. Father, that was a very good elaborate explanation. I wonder... Is this a way you could also quickly cut down the argument, um, the faithful, that refers to Catholic people, yes? Yes. Yes. And you could say, well, based on the papal authority and, and all those encyclicals, we know that Bergoglio can't be the Pope, therefore those following him are actually not the faithful. Yes, objectively. Yes. We're speaking, obviously, objectively here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ob- objectively, yes. Yes, that, that would be correct, is that, you know, we... we because uh, to be a Catholic, you have to. There are certain things you have to believe and have to abide by. And mm. uh, if you don't, then one then is not Catholic. So objectively, um, those lay people in the Novus Ordo, the common belief of them would not be the same thing as the common belief of the faithful. Yes, correct. Yes, that would be yes. I mean, that would be objectively yes. We're speaking objectively, subjectively, of course. This is where, of course, our Lord. Mm, we leave that to our Lord uh, in regards to that. But yes. Yes. Just theoretically for the sake of reaching conclusions. Correct. Cool. So on page 187, the headline reads, The writings of the fathers and the analogy to reason prove that the consent of the faithful is a rule of divine tradition. Yes, Monsignor continues uh, in regards to explaining more elaborately than um, the the consent of the faithful or, or the and using again the writings of the fathers uh, of the church uh, to prove that. And he writes on 188, um, and I'll just read the little paragraph here. He says, he says, the fathers of the church prove the absurdity of the hypothesis that all the faithful could ever err in what belongs to the deposit of the faith. 
St. Vincent of Lorraine argues, if all the faithful could be induced to accept the innovations of heretics or what is conflicting with the doctrine of antiquity, then it would be declared that all the faithful of all ages, all the saints, all the chaste, all the continents, the virgins, all the clergy, Levites, and priests, so many thousands of confessors, the great army of martyrs, the celebrity and multitude of so many cities and peoples, so many islands, provinces, kings, countries, kingdoms, nations, and finally, almost the whole world, intimately, in, intimately united with Christ through the Catholic faith, all these had for so many centuries ignored erred, blasphemed, and never recognized what they believed. I think that is, if you want to take that hmm. that quote, that is a condemnation of Vatican II to the very heart. Because, you know, Vatican II, one of the things they'll say is that they're, you know, uh, I'll give you an example of that in a very kind of crude way. Uh, when I was in seminary in Vatican II, mm-hmm. one of the instructors who was a one of our moral and uh, theology instructors uh, he was a Jesuit. He was a true priest. Yes. Um, but he had he had taught us and made the distinction in class, and it wasn't just like a, uh, you know, just an offhanded remark. He he. And, but this is this is the common teaching that of Vatican II is he said to the fact because we we're talking about marriage. He says, you know, the Church did not understand marriage until Vatican II. <laughs> And in of itself, that was just what Monsignor is quoting of St. Vincent's here. Of, so then basically then all the other Catholics, for all those millions and trillions of Catholics and all those other centuries, the teachings of the fathers of the church, the teachings of all the uh, popes, etc., you know, they were just all wrong mm-hmm. until Vatican II. Hmm. Um, so that is that is as Monsignor says, that is, is an absurdity. Mm. That is an absolute abs- absurdity. In that regards, and so, and then Monsignor, of course, goes in to explain, uh, which uh, which is always good to to uh, understand more. And I would suggest reading more on on, on the First Vatican Council uh, about infallibility. He says infallibility has an active and a passive element. He says by the active uh, element, they mean that the Church can never err in teaching the faithful, and by then the, by the passive element. By the latter, he says, mm-hmm. they mean that the faithful then, as a body, can never err in believing that. So, you know, it is it is uh, um, that interplay, but it's not as if the faithful are saying, like a private interpretation, yeah, I believe that, so it must be true. No, they're saying, I submit to that because I know that is true, because that's what the church teaches. On page 190, the headline reads, the constant and unanimous consent of Catholic schools on matters of faith is a certain proof of divine tradition. <clears throat> Monsignor does a wonderful job as well. Um, I say that often because, I mean, <laughs> he is good. <laughs> yes. Um, but but uh, he, he, he talks then about Catholic schools. Uh, you know, Catholic schools, most, most often in this chapter, is this little section he's talking about, on those theological schools, you know, yep. those higher education, probably more like like seminaries and, and that of nature, but nonetheless, Catholic schools. And I like what he wrote very at the very beginning here. He says, the only refuge of literature, science, and art was the cloister of the monk. Those monasteries were few and far between, but they saved from complete destruction the scriptures and the great literary works of civilization. Mm-hmm. 
you know, which is again a, a little bit off topic in a certain sense, but yet it's something to we could always uh, study more about. Is you know, it is true that the Catholic Church is the one that has saved civilization, uh, even in the secular realm, from destruction in many things of arts, of science, of of history, of all those things. That is, you know, the the reason why you have these wonderful things is because of the Catholic Church. Is that it's saved often from the uh, pagans or what have you, or or heretics who are trying to burn things. You know the beautiful. It's it's it just goes against what the uh, the enemies of the church often will 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 teach is that you know oh the church is against science or the church is against reason that kind of thing. Well, it's just the opposite. It's because of the church that we have these things. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, Monsignor goes continues to say he says the Council of Trent. He used the Council of Trent as an example in the 16th century. Um, he says it was held, of course, in the 16th century, in the 1500s, uh, inspiring, encouraging the erection of, of Catholic seminaries. And it, not only the elementary schools, but the general studies of higher education, especially theology, civil and canon law, uh, from the 12th to the 16th century to the 18th centuries, were under the sole direction and vigilance of the Catholic Church. And so he says, you know, in Northern Europe, however, uh, the Reformation, uh, revolution of the Protestants, handed over to Protestant princes the direction of already flourishing universities. But those churches or those uh, schools uh, were founded in its, in its inceptions, of course, by Catholics, by the church herself to teach her children, to teach those who have maybe had a higher uh, capacity to learn, of course, uh, in, in greater ways but to teach them in the light of the, of the Catholic faith. And so these schools, these theological schools, they had uh, to keep and to explain and defend the doctrines and the dogmas which they had received from the church. And so, um, you know, but it's also, if any of the, uh, the church was a very, um, uh, very uh, um, attentive uh, teacher to, to make sure that these schools, especially that of seminaries, of course, that if there was anyone who was teaching in there, um, any teacher would advance a theory dangerous or contra contrary to the Catholic intellect. He was at once warned, and then if he persisted in that, he was then expelled by yes. the bishop yes. or by the authority of the Pope. You know, that, again, because that is, uh, um, um, you know, th that is because you, if people are teaching heresy, it's going to pervert the faith. It's going to then ultimately uh, lose souls for that. And so the church is very attentive to that, which is another reason why you can look at what you have of today, those once grand Catholic colleges, let's put that, universities, of course, are long since gone from that because you you know, you know have all, you point to any of them and say, yeah, they allow this, they do this, they teach that, which is an error to the faith. So there's no, there's no uh, holding to the Catholic faith in any of them. So, but he says, Monsignor writes, is this connection between the church and the institutions of learning, it becomes more evident when we consider that from those theological departments came most of the bishops and the best element of the clergy. And it was there that they learned how to teach and direct the flock committed to their care. And so, you know, this is, uh, this is why, uh, of course, I think, I believe we having uh, in this country anyway, um, coming soon, which was uh, the Catholic Schools Week, you know, in regards to a, a recognition of even 
those Catholic schools who maybe of the primary school, the secondary, or but yet this was because the church herself saw the need to instruct the faithful and to protect the children to make sure that they learn their faith. Uh, when they're young like that, in correspondence with the parents in the home um, so that everyone is uh, protected against heresies and to know their faith. And so, but it's it's to, to as Monsignor writes, he says, we must not think that truth can be found only in the apostolic succession, nor that every bishop considered individually and apart from the head of the church is infallible, but is with as long as they are in union with what the church has always taught, so then we can certainly look and be assured of their uh, um, um, be assured of their orthodoxy in that regards, and that it goes the same in a sense as well with those schools that are under that care of that bishop. So, you know the um, um, the church, of course, uh, in regards to as Monsignor writes on page one ninety one ninety three. He says, ecclesiastical history teaches us that, that the popes, the Roman pontiffs and bishops, before and after they convened, say, a general council, a council of the church, they consulted the doctors and teachers of these theological institutions, these schools, as a certain preparation for authentic definitions. In other words, they consulted them not about mere matters of philosophy, uh, but about doctrines and dogmas, which strictly belong to faith and morals, not as if they were to say, you know, to invent new things and new invent dogmas or doctrines, but more along the line that they sought information about their constant and unanimous consent on those doctrines. In other words, what is being the practice of belief throughout the whole world in regards to the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, if we consider the, the, the principal, principal aim then, is always of keeping and, def and defending the Catholic truth. And so we see that as uh, uh, what these uh, um, uh, schools are. And so um, so then if the, if the in, in 194, Monsignor writes, you know, if the, for if the consent of the faithful in matters of faith and morals is a mark of divine tradition, as we kind of discussed in the last chapter, mm -hmm. or at least the first half of this chapter, how much more so should be the consent then of the learned in union with their bishops? You know, those who are in charge of teaching that faith, um, whether it be in seminaries or or in, in, in other uh, schools as well. So, you know, it is uh, that infallibility comes then. It says rather, Monsignor writes, rather under the special care and direction of the apostolic succession, they manifest the infallible consent and the Catholic intellect of the same apostolic succession and of all the church. The gift of infallibility was promised to none but to the head of the church and to mm -hmm. the apostles' successors in union and consent with the same head. Yes. Therefore, the, the unanimous and constant testimony of theological schools on matters which belong to the faith bears not directly but indirectly a legitimate testimony of divine tradition. And so... You know, you see the importance that I guess that what Monsignor is trying to to really stress in this chapter, you know, to remind the faithful is that infallibility doesn't mean is that okay, I believe it, so it must be right. Um, it comes, of course, with uh, is covered by what has been handed on to us and taught to us. But it's always as long as that teaching and everything has been taught before, as long as it has in union with his. It, it, 
has been uh, given and handed down before, says you can rest assured then then that is true. You know, there's in other words, no innovations, no changings of of morals or doctrines, uh, which is contrary to what has been taught before or never been taught before. Uh, you know, those are those innovations that you can say, you know, that's not right. That's mm-hmm. not what has been taught. That is not handed down. I'm reading farther on page 194 as well, how Pope Pius IX declared, even if we had in mind the submission which in our acts we owe to the divine faith, it is not, however, to be limited to the particular decrees which have been defined by ecumenical councils or by Roman pontiffs or by this apostolic see, um, but it also must be extended to those doctrines which are taught by the common teaching of the church throughout the whole world as revealed by God and consequently by unanimous and constant consent proclaimed by Catholic theologians to belong to the faith. That's right. I mean, that again, like I said, there is a, there is a, 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 sometimes a tendency to those who are in error or heresy to say something like, which I've heard before, um, well, we only have to believe what has been solemnly uh, proclaimed by the church to the faithful. Um, but if you if you go by that, there's really only a couple of things that have been solemnly declared. You know, you can have like um, the... Um, you know, the latest, of, uh, the last, of course, was the Immaculate Conception, you know, something of that nature. You know, that was a solemn pronouncement. That was a solemn being, you know, very, uh, um, um, by the Pope himself saying these things. But the, var, the vast majority has always been the uh, constant, the unanimous and constant teachings, um, the ordinary magisterium uh, taught by the church. In union, of course, with the Pope and with all the bishops that so the Church has always taught, which is, belongs to the faith, faith and morals. So again, I, there's a uh, we were to, had a discussion yesterday, actually, in the airport by one a couple of priests as we we're on our way back from the priest meeting about how you know when people kind of say something like that, well, then you can throw something in regards to say of that of morals, like say abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, has the Church ever solemnly declared? In a solemn judgment, like in an ecumenical council, or not, is that, that abortion, of course, is murder, is against the fifth commandment, is is wrong. Well, no. Well, how then? Well, then by that logic, to say, well, then we don't have to believe that. Well, yes, we do, because that has always been the constant and unanimous teaching of the church in her everyday teachings in a universal order magisterium. And so, you know, there is, uh, um, and Monsignor goes too as well, and on page one ninety five. In regards to kind of going, giving you a, a kind of a quick list of uh, the to summarize the teaching of those theological schools um, uh, that helps uh, to formulate these things in, in, in four classes. And he says, you know, when unanimously they propose anything de fide or of faith, they are indirectly indefallible because we may then consider them as the voice of the apostolic succession under whose auspices they lived and taught. Uh, when they teach something as fidei proximum, or nearly a faith, we cannot depart from their doctrine because such is the intellect of the church universal whose belief cannot be erroneous. In this case, the doctrine they teach is by common constant con- constant uh, contained in divine revelation, but only lacking the solemn decision of the church. Number three is when they declare some doctrine as true, but not de fide or a faith, it is dangerous to deny it. For when theologians, through inquiry and human science, come down to deductions even of their own from revealed truths and propose their sentence as true by unanimous consent, their authority is certainly grave, 
no one may reject it without at least a note of temerity. We may call that sentence which they declare as true, certain, but not de fide, uh, or fide credenda, must believed in faith. Uh, to reject their teaching is rash, but it is not heresy. But when, and then number four, when they do not agree, anyone may follow his own opinion until the church gives her decision. <clears throat> so, in other words, I think Monsignor is, is kind of giving that example is to say, you know, to remind is that even though the church may not have declared this solemnly or have even uh, attached to this belief a de fide or a little lesser in that regards, you still can't reject it. You still have to submit to it if it is the common practice, common teaching of the church uh, in that regards, because, of course, the church uh, is covered, the church herself and her teachings in union with the Holy Father is covered by that infallibility. She cannot give error. She cannot give anything of that regards, is that we cannot pick and choose what we believe or what we don't believe. And obviously, the common consent that Pope Pius IX refers to must always be consistent with those solemn decrees and that is a reason why Vatican II is wrong because it goes against the past, the solemn decrees, as well as the teachings that are in that constant consent that he refers to. Oh yeah, I mean, Vatican II is a is a uh, combination. Yeah, I mean it's both. I mean they they reject even the solemn mm, basically. Yes. They may they may they may in their lips, of course, behind their mouth, I should say, say yeah, oh we believe, but in praxis they don't. They don't believe that. Um, but yes, they reject many of the solemn, but even just the common, ordinary, universal order masterium of things. And so um, that has always been taught. On page 196, the headline is, The ancient ecclesiastical monuments are an ever-living expression and a visible confirmation of Catholic Christianity. This is something I think that, I think some Catholics, even traditional Catholics, mm -hmm. of course, yes. they don't... Um, it seems kind of odd to think that even that of art, uh, you know, statues or paintings or uh, things of that nature, you know, these are all, there's meanings to this. In other words, it's just not, um, it's just not to have something pretty or something, you know, um, nice to look at. I mean, there is a meaning to this and because there's a meaning, a, 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 teaching of the faith to this, then certainly there are some guidelines, of course, that has to be had, or has to reflect that teaching of the church in the proper way. And I think uh, I had read somewhere, you know, one of, or, uh, one of the things like Martin Luther um, had uh, done and his uh, cohorts uh, from, uh, had tried to, to inculcate his heresies uh, into the minds of the people that he would write hymns. Uh, to inculcate those heresies, and people would begin to sing those hymns, you know, like, you know, little catchy little numbers, some, I guess you can say, like today. Uh, Propaganda. Right, right, basically what it is. And, and so, mm. you know, this is uh, because he knew that, as well as Aristotle, of course, teaches that we are sense beings. You know, we, you know, we, things we come through our eyes and our ears, you know, often will help form what we believe or not. And so, mm. Christian art has their, 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 uh, of the kinds of paintings of statues, as as Monsignor says, of crypts, of tombs, of sarcophagi, of coins, of inscriptions, epitaphs, all these things, they have a meaning to us because they speak to us, as Monsignor says, in that silent language uh, that fills the soul with lights and places before our eyes that religious life 
of that depiction of whether the first Christians or whether of our Lord or Our Lady. And so, and Monsignor uses the example of the catacombs. Um, he says, you know, the Roman catacombs, you know, but besides the Roman, there are other, other catacombs throughout Italy and in, in Africa, etc. And, and it was in such places, of course, that the first Christians, first Catholics, they prayed, they sacrificed, uh, they were buried. It was, um, it was in these uh, catacombs, uh, these quiet enclosures, that they sang the Psalms together from Scripture, that they celebrated Mass uh, together. They had, they received Holy Communion uh, in these, and and they hastened then to the, as Monsignor writes, as to the battlefield of martyrdom, and so. Uh, but it was these, if you go into the catacombs, of course, you see uh, not only, of course, the, 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 the bones uh, or see the tombs of the martyrs and tombs of many of the, the Catholics uh, who have died for the faith as well as, but you see often depictions in there, paintings, you know, paintings of, of this or that, uh, of our Lord, of our lady, of the faith, something to depict in symbols and many different symbols. And so, this art itself, whether again it be uh, paintings or or statues or what have you, um, after the scriptures, after the creeds, after the liturgies, they furnish the church with so many visible proofs that they can be placed on par, as Monsignor says, with the writings of the fathers for the conservation and preservation of divine tradition. Because you think of it this way, is that you know, like stained glass. You know, we of course in, mm-hmm. in mo- more modern times, of course, have stained glass. Well, if you look at stained glass, what is it often you have a depiction of? You had a depiction of a saint, or you have a depiction of, of the life of our Lord, or some instance of that. Or, and for those who maybe uh, were unlearned, who could not read, or maybe who could not, uh, you know, this is a visual representation of to of the faith, to be, to things to be believed. Um, and so, you know, the um, um, that expression of that belief um, formed those generations of Catholics, of course, to to believe it. It either for those who, um, again, uh, uh, it helped it was in conjunction with maybe, of course, the preaching of of the church, uh, the teaching of the church in that regards. But this was a visual visual aspect of the faith, and so it was very important. And Monsignor makes the on page, uh, well, you can read on page 198 to 199, he talks about, you know, the fresco or the painting, you know, uh, in regards to the, the fraxio panis, the, the breaking of the bread um, in the uh, catacombs of St. Priscilla, you know. But uh, if you look at something like there's there's so many things that are represented in, in that of uh, to teaching about um, the faith of, you know, maybe the number of people that are there, the the, the the bread itself, of course, being a a, a uh, symbolic of the Eucharist, etc. All these things that you see in pictures, they represent so many different things. There are symbolic things, and so you see the 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 breaking of the bread. This this depiction that represented, you know, describes the the Eucharistic sacrifice, the Mass, uh, which is the center of all all Christian worship. But it also again proves, you know, other things. Like the first Christians observed Sunday instead of Saturday as the Lord's Day, um, that this breaking of the bread demonstrates also that people went to confession before they received Holy Communion, um, mm-hmm. you know, because of other things like the Monsignor points out that the author of the Didache, the little the teaching of the apostles, the early writings that 
uh, that they assemble together to break bread on Sunday, but having first confessed your sins, that your sacrifice may be pure. And so there, this picture is symbolic of and belongs to, of course, the sacrifice of the Mass, which is the teaching of the Church. Um, so this in of itself, art uh, and architecture even, and, and these all these wonderful visual things are meant to us not just to have like, like nice pretty things around. I mean, like I right now I'm looking in my rectory and I have a, all kinds of pictures on the wall of you know religious pictures but and they're they're very nice looking mm -hmm. but i i know when i look at those pictures i don't see well that's pretty color that's nice yeah well yes but i see what it means i see the symbols that are there it re reinforces myself uh of you know in a visual way of the teachings of the church and it helps foster then that uh that faith and so you know this is uh, um but this is an evidence, though, as Monsignor writes, he says, it's of these monuments are an evidence and a confirmation of the Catholic Church, the Catholic faith, which has always been taught. So what you see in that painting of in the catacombs of St. Priscilla uh, on the Mass, the breaking of the bread, that, that is exactly what has always been believed and what has been believed by faithful Catholics to this very day. Um, so you, you, you see that that uh, connection in regards to that what is visible uh, to what is the doctrine of dogma. In other words, in a certain sense, you can say that the dogmas and doctrines that we believe, they take a visual form for us. Um, this is why, too, in Vatican II, uh, if, well, you well know, I mean, you can see and modern art, so to speak, in itself, how hideous it is, how, how, how uh, it's distorted, how it, there's, um, mm. you know, it's, um, I, what pops into my mind right now is like the, the bent crucifix that is used by, first used by Montini, Paul VI, you know, to this very day in regards to the Vatican II and how our Lord is distorted and just, it's just a terrible looking thing mm. um, in that mm. regards and how, what a distortion that is compared to, of course, the, what uh, ha has been before the order and the, uh, of, uh, of the crucifix in that regards, yes, the bloodiness of, of course of it, but yet, uh, mm. you know, it's so it's these little things like this that you can see the that uh, true beauty, of course, has that order and symmetry to it, but it is also symbolic and teaches the faithful to us, whether again through visually or even like I mentioned through sound, uh, through through hymns, etc., um, that help uh, to solidify that faith of ours, the, the infallible faith of ours that has uh, been given to us. Well, that concludes the chapter, Father, and I think that is a good place to conclude this episode as well.